And I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 11, verse 24. For a few brief moments, let's begin with Luke chapter 11, and we're looking for the title of our message this morning. I think everybody here will be able to relate to what is going to be said today. I think we've all been there and hope that God will show you a way to escape some things that uh, some people just bogged down in. The title of the message is in verse 24 of Luke 11. And it says, And when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return into my house whence I came out. And then he goes on to say, when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished and goes and takes more spirits. They enter in back into that house and the last state is worse than the first. Now the Bible has much to say about spirits. They're called demons in the Bible, but they are spirits. You can't see them just like you cannot see angels or you cannot see God. It's a spiritual realm, but it's a real realm. And there's much evidence of the reality of it. We won't go into that. But these spirits are often find places that they can inhabit. They go about looking for some place that is not paying attention. A child, an older person, adult, even homes. There is such a thing as a haunted house, a habitation where devils are. But when a devil can get into a person, whatever kind of spirit it is, in this case it's called an unclean spirit, which could mean that it's nasty traits in a person's life or not very clean, or it could have to do with sexual uncleanness or all kinds of ways that an unclean spirit can manifest itself. And anyway, this says that this spirit is gone out of a man, and that would probably mean it was commanded to come out like Jesus did. And a person with authority who knows what the Bible says, whose life is clean, the devil knows he has to obey that person. You can't just cast spirits out of people who are full of them because sometimes the devil has a right to these people's lives and he doesn't have to let go. And sometimes everything is just right and God puts the right person in front of that person and they go through deliverance. This is the point. When these spirits do come out of people, it says they go through dry places. Now that's the title of the message today, dry places. And these spirits go through dry places seeking rest. Now, whatever rest means is what everybody's looking for. All of humanity is looking for rest. A place where you can abide without being stressed all the time, without being angry and mad and frustrated and uncertain never know what's going to happen next and just live with that. That's not a place of rest. That's a place of turmoil. And the Bible describes, Jesus describes these demons as going through a place or a time of turmoil. It's like a desert place, a place where there's just nothing. It's just dead and dying. These spirits go through dry places seeking rest and they can't find it. In the Bible, it even describes once that spirits who had come out of a man, remember the Gadarene demoniac, the man in Gadara who was full of demons? Nobody could tame him. He could break chains, his supernatural strength. Everybody in the villages around were scared of this man. Jesus came to their coast, 
And the man ran to Jesus, knew his name, knew his name. Jesus cast these demons out of him and into a bunch of hogs, a bunch of swine. The Bible says the swine stampeded, ran over a hill and destroyed themselves, which is exactly what the devil does today. The Bible says the thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy. And how many people in this life get so frustrated with life, get so beside themselves with the hopeless, helpless forecast of their tomorrows, they terminate their lives. But that's what the devil does. That's the way he leads people to live a dismal, frustrated, angry, mad life. They try sex, maybe it's drugs, maybe I could do this, something to get me away from the fact that when I come down off of this high, when I get out of this house, when I come back wherever I live, it's still that dead blank wall I gotta deal with and I can't get past it. These are dry places. They're not fun places. They're no good for demons, they're no good for people. None of us like dry places, but the problem is that in life, especially without knowledge of God, multitudes of people just learn to live this way. They just learn to cope best you can, hope for a good day. Maybe there's parties and maybe there's experiences to be had and places to go and next sporting event or next something and we can really get in here. But when it's over, when it's ended and you're back alone, it's still dry. You don't even like yourself. That's why you do drugs. People do drugs because they don't like who they are. They want to be somebody else, and that alters your mind, and you're thinking differently, and now you're cool or whatever you are. But in the end, you're a fool because you're only destroying your life, and more and more at the end of that day, you're more and more aware of the fact that you have losing ground. You're not any better. You're worse. Look what you did. Look what you said. Look what you've become. You're living in a dry place, brother or sister. Not many ever escape it but it's not a good place. I think I grew up with dry places throughout my life and I didn't learn how to cope with it or get free from it until I got saved. And by the grace and the goodness of Almighty God, I got delivered. But these dry, arid, dead zones in our life, spiritually, it happens in churches. How many of you believe that churches can be dry? I'm thinking of what the psalmist said. In Psalms uh, 63 and verse 1, he says, My soul, the real me, my soul thirsteth for thee in a dry and weary land. I think I was like that in the church I grew up in after I got saved. That there came a time in which your desire for more your desire to grow and have a place where we're all together, we don't have to worry about what everybody's saying, it gave way to either attacks by the preacher or just dead sermons and take you nowhere and you go home after every meeting think, man, that's a dry place. I think that's why we left and moved. Most all of you moved here from somewhere else. Almost all of you did. Very few of you are from Shelbyville. Think of it. Almost all of you came here. Your children were born here. Now they're Kentuckians. 
But we came here because something was dry. We weren't getting watered. There was no moisture. We were living in some kind of a desert. I've had people tell me through the years, various people, various times, that, man, it's dry over here. It is so dry. It's just nothing going on. It's dead. Remember the story in the Psalms 137, by the rivers of Babylon, our captors demanded of us a song. We were captive. You know, the Israelites were carried away to Babylon, slaves. And they had heard about the rejoicing and the singing of these Jewish people. They'd never heard it. They said, sing us, uh, uh, sing us one of your songs of Zion. And they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a place like this? Maybe that's why people don't worship or their worship is limited to first, second, and fourth stanza. You know, we never like that third verse anyway, a third stanza. But maybe that's why we don't want any more than just first, second, and fourth stanza because we can't put our heart into the meaning of these words. Seem like we've been separated from what everything is supposed to be and whew, and then we hear of some place that something is going on where God's watering his people and we rush there and we have that visiting experience. Oh boy, I love it here. And then wound up, you moved or something like that. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. How do you suppose, speaking to Christians, how do you suppose Christians get this way? How does dryness come into our lives if we assume that in the beginning we weren't dry? How many of you believe when you first came to the Lord, you weren't dry. You were juicy. In a good sense, you know what I mean. Man, you were getting your water every day and life had a bubble on it and you didn't need any drugs. You found life. You found a reason to live. You found courage to live this way. You didn't care what people thought. Oh, you know what they're thinking, but it, so what? I've got what they need. I'm not going to flaunt it, but I just know that I have finally found life. Jesus said when he gives it, he gives it more abundant. So we don't need to run to a party and drink. It don't need it. We're not better than other people. We just don't need that anymore. Something has happened. It's like the song, something in my heart like a stream running free makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be when I think of Jesus and what he's done for me. Something in my heart like a stream running free. That, that's a good thing. To wake up every day and be glad you're alive and look forward to living. To look forward to having something good to say to somebody. To be able to speak a word in season to somebody who is weary or dry. To walk around and live in such a way that people ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. How is it you're always above and not beneath? It's your testimony. I told my little grandson, one of my, I got a bunch of them. I told one of my little grandsons when they were here, one of Sarah's little boys, Gus, he might be watching. I said, isn't granny mean? Isn't she just getting mean? Now, I'm playing. Just, we're just playing. They're little granny playing. I said, isn't granny just getting mean? And that little Gus looked up at me and said, granny's not mean. She's happy. 
granny, of course, she'd like that, you know, yeah, I am happy, you know. <laughs> she said, that's right, Gus, I am happy. I said, all right, but we should be, shouldn't we? There is no reason if you're a believer, not just a agreeer that the Bible's true, but if you're a believer, there's no reason for us to be down, out, and dismal. Yes, we have our troubles, we have our trials, we have to cope and deal with things, yes. But there are answers for all a man's problems. There's no circumstance or problem a man has that God hadn't given him the answer. I mean, everything is there. So if we're in here with a loaded gun, it's when we got everything. We have God on our side. He sent his Holy Spirit to teach us, inform us. The angels watch over us to keep us in all of our ways. That's what it says. And we have the power of prayer. If you pray in faith, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe. You have seated in heavenly places. The Bible says the devil is under your feet. We have all of this as promise. Then like Romans 8 says, what then should we be afraid of? Of what should we fear? If we lack anything, God will give it to us. So then why? Why do Christians find themselves beginning there in a dry place? You say, well, I've been to church all my life. I, I have too. I've been to my daddy's church where we did all this stuff. I've been to a Christian church where my mama did, you know, a church did all of that. You know, my parents were divorced. I had to be the Christian, and my mother couldn't afford to keep both of us, so my brother went to be my dad, Catholic and Christian, and we finally got together. We had a mix. Why is it that people with all of this, we've learned to read. We've got access to this, most popular book ever written. More books in the Bible are sold than any other book ever, of any kind of in, in the world forever. Yes, it's the least read book in the world. It's full of everything you need. The promise comes from Almighty God who says there's nothing too hard for him. There's no life that's so bad that it can't be fixed. And yet people still remain not only unfixed, but dry, dismal, negative, just negative, yapping, just negative. What's wrong? Well, you're in a dry and thirsty land. You really are. You're in a dry and thirsty land. Hopefully there will come a day in which like Psalm 42 maybe, verse 1, as the deer panteth for the water brooks, so my soul longeth after thee. Remember we sang that song? Beautiful song. But that's the kind of place a man comes when he realizes I'm not doing well. This is not working the way it's supposed to. Man, I'm on verge of giving up. I'm angry half the time, mad. So, what's wrong? How do we get like this? Look at Jeremiah chapter 18. And I'll just use Jeremiah. There's other places, but I'll use Jeremiah 18 and verse uh, 15 to show you what he said about how his people, God's people, got this way. He said they had become dry and dead. Now, we're butting in on a different theme and a subject, but I'm just using a verse of Scripture to point out some things. He said, because 
my people hath forgotten me. That's easy to do too. They have burned incense to vanity. And they have caused them, these things have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths in a way not cast up or that is not prepared for them by the Lord. Now let's take the first two things he mentions here as why they became dry. He said, first of all, you have forgotten God. You haven't forgotten about him, you know, born in the manger on Christmas Day. Everybody knows that. Or they haven't forgotten, you know, that Jesus walked on the water, fishes in the loaves, raised Lazarus from the dead. Most anybody who's ever casually attended church knows those stories or have heard of them. They are familiar with things of that sort. So it's not like they don't know about God, but he's talking here about people who knew God, who have been introduced to God, or people whom God has introduced himself to them. No, we didn't get it all. We didn't understand all of that, but we knew something was there. Here's something here I need. Something in me is stirring me, and I'm being made aware of the fact that the great loss in my life, I can find it right here. We didn't get it. We didn't understand it, but... God was revealing himself to us. We were beginning to see some things. And we were stimulated and stirred to think, you know, praise God. In light of what I know I am and what I am, I, boy, this, this, is, this is it. So these people apparently had been brought to the Lord. God had led them through the Red Sea and, and worked miracles and drove out inhabitants and, and worked for them and warred on their behalf and helped them defeat their enemies. And yet they came to a time in their life with all of their history, with all of the grace that God poured out upon them. He said, you have forgotten me. The way you're living, the choices you're making, the things you're doing, the words you're using. As a person who once knew God, something really has happened bad in your life because you've gotten away from what you once wouldn't do. There was a time you wouldn't miss church. You wouldn't because it was vital. It was a feed time. And you knew that if you start missing a little, you'll start missing a lot until soon you won't go and then you will forget. You'll let the word slip and you begin to back away from stuff. So you know it's necessary for me to feed at every opportunity God gives me to feed. So I come together to hear what the Lord has to say. Or to hear what the preacher has to say. I pray that God will speak to me through that preacher. Or in some way that I'll go out that door different than when I came in. I'll have something when I leave that I didn't have when I came in. And so we learned about God. We had an experience with the Lord. We wouldn't wear that, we wouldn't go there, wouldn't watch that, wouldn't smoke that, drink that, follow that crowd. We wouldn't do that at a time in our life when God brought us in unto him because we knew we shouldn't do that. Y'all remember that? Have you ever been there? See, when you're born again, your life changes. You're a brand new creature in Christ. The Bible says old things are passed away. All things become new. Now, your mind has to be changed because you still can revert if you're not careful. you got to crucify the flesh and all of that. 
But boy, what a life has opened up to you. Remember all those promises that God made to us? We begin to learn things we never learned before. You remember that? God would show you things that you could read, but you never realized. Then now that he's brought you to him, you begin to see things like he says it. And there's hope. You start laying hands on things. You start praying for things, claiming things. Your life begins to improve. You lose all your friends. You're talked about like a dog. But you found peace and joy in a hostile world. And you don't mind. You're not afraid anymore. He delivers you from all of your fear. You're not afraid to die. You're not afraid of diseases. You're not afraid of forecast. One out of four. You're not afraid of the percentage. You're not afraid anymore because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's a vibrancy and a joy and a looking forward to of living this life. Now, you've got to come there. But I don't know that everybody who has come there has stayed there. Because things begin to slide. As he said there, you begin to burn incense to vanity. You find another reason in your life to be loyal to something else. Vanity means worthless and useless. People follow so many worthless things, things that their dream, their job, their career, and one day you get to the end of it, you're just a moldy old person, afraid of dying because you don't know where you're going. You're going to die. You don't know when, you don't know how, but you know you're going to. And all your job didn't make you better spiritually. Promoting your kids and their education and their habit, everything that you didn't have, didn't make you better spiritually. It didn't make them better spiritually. Didn't improve upon you at all. Didn't draw you near to God. Drew nobody near to God. All those things you claimed, you got the new car one time, I got a house. How many of you know that doesn't make you spiritual? It can make you proud and cocky. Look what I've got. But it doesn't make you better. It's just one of the benefits of your salvation. But the picture of your life still got to be God. The focus is God. But if you start burning incense, as he says here, to vanity, when you begin finding a new loyalty in your life, maybe it is a new career. That's why you miss church, because you found something that's more important. Maybe it is your children. Maybe your children came along and they became more to you than God. Maybe it's true that, like he said in Matthew 10, a man's enemies will be those of his own house. They begin to be the things that turn you away from loyalty and devotion to God to loyalty and devotion to, to them or the career. And so you begin to concentrate on that. Well, we have to get home tonight because... Well, my kid's playing soccer or something today or baseball or softball or football today and we can't come to church tomorrow because of my kid. Are you sure you're not burning incense to vanity and missing another opportunity to hear something you might not have ever heard before and may never hear? Are you sure your loyalty isn't being tested by the Lord? Have you forgotten all the good ways the Lord has led you so far, and when he healed this and did that, have you forgotten? 
Are you now drawing back to a new dimension or new something in your life? Are you forgetting about what God warned you about or what God blessed you with? Are you beginning to do it your way now, like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way? Do you really believe that this will lead you to a life where at the end of this journey, God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I wouldn't count on it. Because you see, the more you draw back, listen to me now, and the more you begin to find something else to devote yourself to, money, job, career, kids, fame, fortune, look at me. All that does, all it ever does is lead you to a dry place spiritually. Because one day you wake up while you're living your dream and there's that wall again. It came back. You got delivered from that thing. It left you. You found a new way of living. You cleaned your life up. And here came that same old devilish past. And it comes up only this time. The devil says, Now, nah, ain't you pretty? You sorry thing. Now, you go to church, but praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Look at you. What'd you do last night? I know what you did last night. I was with you. Now, what are you going to do? Go to church this morning and say, Praise the Lord? You sorry thing. You're a hypocrite. If you raise your hands or sing part of a song, you're a common hypocrite because you're on my team now. I had you once and lost you, but I'm back. And you're doing it my way now, so you got no right to praise the Lord. How many of you know that guilt will kill you? How many people are there? And guilt always leads you to a little dark hole. And inside that little dark hole, there's a desert, arid, dry place. You can't get out of it. You're locked in. It's called bondage. You're bound. The devil goes about, the Bible said, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. Not just mess with your mind and mess with your tomorrows and mess with all your ideas, but to bind you, to destroy you. Eventually, you quit going to church. You quit going to a meeting which you need so badly because the devil has convinced you you're so bad now that it wouldn't do you any good to go. You're so bad you chase cars. You know what that means, don't you? You're a dog, that's right. You're a dog. What are you going to do? Go to church? And as long as the devil can talk to you like that, as long as he can make you think like that, you're in a dry place and you're finding no rest. No rest for the weary. You're trying to do this. Maybe I try this crowd, this place, that girl, this adventure, that job. And it's still, at some point, just down the road, is that wall. We call it wall, dry place. You just get so distracted with things that you lose God. Yeah, he hadn't gone anywhere. You've gone somewhere. Not that he quit loving you because he could have let you go, but he saved you for a purpose. He, he's going to come back. You ain't going to like when he comes back, what he's going to do, but he's going to come back. 
because my mom used to say, I'm going to wear you out. And that's what he does. No chasing for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields that peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those who are exercised thereby. But there's a time that too many Christians start well. They suit up well. They got their running gear on, their racing, living gear on, and they head down the road of life. And they get further and further away until finally they forget what it was all about. Verse 15, it said, these things cause you to stumble in your ways. Let me read what a commentator whom I admire very much, let me read his words about this verse. Now, he refers to the ancient paths in this verse, the path of the Lord. An ancient path was called a highway in other places in Jeremiah and Isaiah. And a highway was a way of saying, this is the way walking in it. Now, there is a broad way. There is a narrow way. There's only two ways in life, either or. And you will go one or the other. There's no middle road. And the way that God has prepared for his people when he said this is the way you walk in it. The way that God has prepared for his people is called the Lord's highway or the king's highway. This is the way God's people will live. They will follow the king down the prescribed route that he has mapped out for them in this work. So here's what the commentator said. He said, they have walked not in the highway in which they might travel safely, but in a way in which they must stumble. People who are in a dry place do stumble. They can never get it together. It just, mm, they stumble. This made their land, talking about the Jews here, this made their land desolate and themselves miserable. If he, God, is displeased and refuses his help, we are undone. Multitudes forget the Lord and his Christ and wander from the ancient paths to walk in ways of their own devising. But what will they do in the day of judgment? Don't we hear this a lot in our lives? But yeah, well, that's, you, that's your way and this is my way. You ever heard that? Well, that's the way you see it. This is how I see it. Yeah, but God said, well, I know that's, that's up for interpretation. God may not say that to me. So man is inherently capable of choosing his own way because God made us like this. Everybody in this room lives by your will. Everybody in here this morning lives by one thing, choices. The choices you and I have made in our life have brought us right now where we are. The way we are, the kind of people we are, has all been predicated on the choices that I was free with this life of mine to make. If I don't want to go, I won't go. If I don't want to sing, I'm not going to sing. It's a choice. If I want to quit, I can quit. That's a choice. I want to go out and have a big time and do whatever. That's my business. It is. It really is your business. That's your choice. That's how you live. You're telling me the kind of person you are. I hear you talk. You're telling me the kind of person you are. I know what you're like. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man is in his heart, so he is. These are choices. We live by them. Nobody made me put a tie on this morning. I put one on because I wanted to. It was my idea whether you wore one or not in this dressed down, unshaven, no hair combed age. 
I still like to comb my hair well I got left. I still like to comb it. I still shine my shoes, still wear a tie, still take a shower every day. Well, good for me. All I'm saying is I live by that choice. I don't have to. Nobody makes me do this. It's a choice I make. My choices usually are made by illumination. I know that in society, if I want to be accepted, there are things that I don't do. There are ways I don't talk. If I want a good job, I have to learn how to sell myself. I have to learn how to look a person right in the eye and tell him I'd like to work for you. And when he asked me my name, I said, oh, no. Uh-huh, uh-uh. I know better than that. I don't choose to do that. Unless it's the media, I'd talk to them like that. But I mean, I don't choose to live like that. I live by choices. I chose to be here this morning. I chose to buy the Bible that I'm buying. I mean, we live by choices. When you're not here, you don't want to be here. When you're here, you want to be here. It's your choice. That's the way you chose to live. That's the kind of person you are. Now, God's given us a better way to live than most people live, but you can preach this all you want to, and I'm required to. It's what I'm called to do, is to say what I'm saying this morning the best I know how to say it. I'm sure not the best at this that you've ever heard. And I'm sure not the most gifted preacher in the world, obviously, or very, as Paul said, I am the least of all the saints. Well, I am too. I am too. But I know this. I know this, that God has not called me as his child to wander in arid places on this earth. God has not caused me to be stressed out, difficult, and angry, and mad, and fussing all the time, and negative. He hadn't called me to do that. That's not what I'm here for. That's not the way we're supposed to be. We make choices. You can do that. We're not supposed to. So we preach the word. We hammer the word. We hang in here with the word. We say what we have to say. Yes, we'll be persecuted for this. Yeah, you're one of those preachers. I probably am. Now you think you're better than everybody. I'm better than nobody. Zero. I'm only better than I used to be. Persecuted. I've lost all my friends. Not all of them. You're here. I just know that the choices as I walk with God, the choices he gives me to make, though they cost me something in this life, they will always lead me to a good place. I may be more afraid of what you think about me than what God thinks, and I reject God so you'll like me. But what will I do in the end? What we do when we come to the end of our life? What will we do when it's over? It's going to be over for everybody in here. We're not going to live forever. You know, I'm past 60 now. I know I won't live forever. I'm not afraid of what's coming. I'm absolutely not afraid of whenever it happens. It might be 30 more years. Poor you. <laughs> Who knows? I just know that... I live one day at a time. You make the right choices today, and God will take care of your tomorrows. He's already in all my tomorrows. And so I want to live in such a way that whenever it happens, that when my eyes shut in this life and they immediately open in the next life, that I will hear something like, well done. I don't want to wind up well done. I want God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Now, as you turn to Jeremiah 18, look first at verse 15. Remember those ancient paths? You see that? They have stumbled in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths in a way not cast up in. That is, they're beginning to walk differently than they should walk. They still go to church, still religious. Nothing's changed. But they're not living on God's terms. Amen. Now, chapter 6 and verse 16. Concerning this path, this highway that I mentioned a moment ago, this highway. He said in verse 16, he said, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, wherever you are, whatever direction and way you're going, whether it's good or bad right now, he said, stop what you're doing and see and ask for the old paths. Did your Bible say that? Do all the other translations say old paths? That is, they were from before new paths. Are you with me? The original path, the original way designed by God for a man to walk in favor with him was the original path, the way it first started. When God said, I'm going to show you how to live and please me, he maps it out in the Bible. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Do this and you shall live. All right. You begin to see that, boy, there's a whole lot in me that doesn't want to live this way. Whoa, what? Oh, man. But he said, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And he said, and ask for the old paths. Oh, Lord, this morning... We ask you to make clear to us the old paths. As you meant it to be understood here, we want that. Now, notice what he says about it. Wherein is the good way? And walk therein, and what will you find? You shall find rest for your souls. How do you find rest for your soul? By walking on the path that God mapped out for you. It's an ancient path. It's original. God watches over this path to perform it because that's his word and that's the way he wants you to live in his word. This is it. And he calls it a good way. Now, let me ask you a question. If I turn in the Bible here and I follow the teaching through the years, 40 years of this for me, 43, if I still read it, and I still desire it. I'm not afraid of the, of the challenge of it or opinions of others about me concerning my living this way. And I choose to walk that way. Is it a good way? Is it? He said, the old paths wherein is the good way. That means any other way is a bad way. I don't know how many people can accept that, but it's either or. Let me say it again, now that you're quiet. He said, stand ye in the ways. Excuse me, what? Stand still. Let me ask you something. As you look at your life and the way it's going, the way you're going, ask God for a revelation to your heart of the ancient paths wherein is the good way. And if you do that, you'll walk in a good way and the Father will say to you at the end, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
Let me ask you a question. When were you, as a Christian, the happiest? When were you the most elated, the most exuberant, the most joyful? When were you the most excited? I'm running out of words. When were you the most desirous of, oh, come now, Jesus? You remember those kind of days? Or are they still going? Now, can't all of y'all shake your head now. When were you individually, whoever you are this morning, any of you, when were you spiritually the happiest? Is it a past event or is it something that has matured and is better than it was? When were you the most lively, the most earnest in what you're doing? When? Was it a long time ago? Have you gotten away from it? I'm asking you the question God asked. Have you gotten away from it? Has some vanity come into your life and now you're offering incense to it? Have you forgot those ancient paths? Because as long as you were on those paths, remember those, those days, as long as we walked that way, we were giddy, we were, oh man, it was so much fun. Couldn't wait to get together. If you've been there, we didn't care about a building. How many of you know in those early days, you didn't care about where you got together? It didn't have to be a cathedral of yesterday that we met in. We didn't care. We met in basements, living rooms, barns. Years ago, over in Sellersburg, Indiana, we met in a smelly old diesel-infested smell garbage truck storage place. And you talk about a bunch of giddy, joyful people in there shining and spraying and washing and hosing down and got together. The smell wasn't that bad later on. We just lived with, we're rejoicing. We're having church. You can go outside with someone and go, woo! But we had church tonight. This building didn't keep us from coming to the Lord's presence. You didn't find us out there and say, well, we ain't going to meet in that old place. We didn't care where we met. We didn't even really care what kind of food we ate. We ate bologna all the time, bologna, potato chips, cheese. Kids were little, but just when they got tired, and I remember this so well, we just piled them up in one of the rooms in the house, threw coats over them. Sometimes we wouldn't go home till 2 or 3 in the morning. Talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Loving it being talked about by the rest of the town, the basketball coach is casting out devils. I hope he was. But you know what they meant by that? He grabbed these kids in high school because I was working with a lot of men. He grabbed these kids and he'd shake these kids until they begin to puke. What they said. And they'd mumble something at these kids and I guess they'd puke and they'd shoot to puke with a shotgun. I'm trying to find what chapter and verse in the Bible did Jesus grab one till they vomited and then hmm, shot a slingshot at the people are so ignorant of truth. Wouldn't the devil do that though? Wouldn't he try to get you discouraged by losing your popularity? And I went from the hall of fame to the hall of shame like a year 
You know what, though? I didn't care. I honestly, as God is my witness, I didn't care. I really had found life. I found what I spoke to you about just a few weeks ago about that hammer. Remember the hammer? Well, when God drops that hammer on any human life, that life is changed. And all our little talks and all our little counseling sessions and all of our earnest prayer, you're going to change them. What's going to change them? How's that hammer? Well, God dropped a hammer on me on June 30th, 1968. I come here today with no regrets about the journey that I've been on for the last 43 years. God has never disappointed me or my wife. I've had disappointments in my life, but not from God. Maybe from my kids, maybe from people that I thought loved me. But I overcome all of that and go on because I got a promise concerning all of that. But there's something about this path that God put us on and the good way that he started us out on this path. I still remember all of this. I know I talk about it a lot, but it was so good. Was singing was with gusto. We even harmonized when we sing. You know why? To make it as beautiful unto the Lord as we knew how to make it tried very hard in singing, not just to enjoy it myself, but to do something regarding God with it. It's unto the Lord. Our singing in here is unto the Lord. And if you don't give him anything, that's the limit he gets in our lives, I suppose. Well, you're trying to make everybody feel bad. I want everybody to feel bad that ought to feel bad. God doesn't let us get by with anything, and so therefore we ought to tighten up. Amen. He's worth it. Dry places? No, the dry places came later when boredom set in. Preaching wasn't very deep in those days. It didn't have to be. It was new. It was different. We were zeros. When God saved me, I was a zero. It was easy for me to learn because I knew nothing. The Christian church I grew up in never taught me anything. The sermon was a two-pages, double-spaced, typed 20-minute sermonette. And that was it. That's all we wanted. Who cares? You get saved. You get an appetite for the word. You want to taste and see that it's good. And then when you do, you want more of it. That's when this thing called happiness or joy begins to increase in your life. And the more you taste, the better it gets. And I've watched, even in those days, I've watched people fall away from that. They turned away from that. It's like the sower and the seed. He received the word with joy, but when he got persecuted for it, he turned away. I've seen that all my life. Seen it happen a lot. Now, what about these old paths? Should we this morning as we leave and as we wind down our message, should we then have it in our heart to ask God for the old paths? Should we? Deliver me from the contemporary church today. God deliver me from this Church that emphasizes comfort and happiness. Make me comfortable, make me happy. That's life for people. And yet at the end of a comfort, happiness, fun-filled, busy, missionary, type running and doing and helping and giving life, with no word, you know what? A wall's still there. You gained nothing with all your attempts to feel good about yourself. You're still in a dry place. Now, 
Jeremiah 31. Now, follow me in verse 21. Set thee up waymarks. What is a waymark? Verse 21, what is a waymark? Set thee up waymarks. Make thee high heaps. Now, what is that? Let me give you another translation for just a moment. Set up road signs. Make guideposts. How's that? Is that easier to understand? How many of you remember in 1 Samuel 7, the Ebenezer stone, that they erected this big pile of stones as a reminder of how good God had been and what happened at, at this particular spot so that when your children come by, they would see that they would say, oh, that was when God did this and God did that. A reminder that God does good things. So he said, put some waypost up in your life. Quit forgetting about what God has done for you. Quit acting like, you know, I'm just a poor. Quit acting like that. He could have dropped you like a bad habit a long time ago, but he didn't. He spared you. You didn't deserve to be spared. He rescued you when you should have drowned. He was good when you were bad. He was loving when you were hateful, you nasty thing. And yet he was there. And he brought you out. He said he would. He said he that started a good work, he's going to get your attention. And he brings you to himself. Now, he said in verse 21 again, he said, Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps. Notice this in concerning that highway. Set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which you went. Turn again. You were there once. We've been talking about it. You were on that road once. You enjoyed it. You benefited from it. Whoa, it was good. Then you got bored with it. You said, I've heard that sermon before. We need another building. Now, I agree with that. God can meet us here, though. If he can meet you in your car, he can meet you in a building. We'll wait on the Lord for that. We get bored. I'm in church again. It's just another church day. You know, go to church and shave and dress and go to church and, and sit there. Uh, this joy, his joy. And we get bored. See, no reason to get excited. I got no reason to try and act like I care about spiritual things. I've done that before. I did that 20 years ago. Something's wrong. Dry. It's real dry. Ask a song leader. Ask a preacher sometime. Ask him how dry the wind. There's a hot, dusty, arid wind that blows in midweek. Oh, some of those Wednesday nights, it's like 112 degrees, sandy, hot, no clouds in the sky, hot, melting, wilting wind that just... And let's just assume the preacher comes out and says, Praise the Lord! You know, like we're afflicted or something. <laughs> Something's wrong. Something is wrong. God isn't. The Word isn't. Something's wrong. It didn't used to be like that. The Word that God gave to the Jewish people is the same Word this morning He's given to His people in the church. Something's wrong. 
Ask for the ancient path. Let's go back where we once were, where thou wentest. Let's go back where we've been before. If we have to, let's reteach again what we were taught 30 years ago because obviously a lot of people never got it. How many of you were born in this church? We would expect after all these years that you would learn, but you probably are just now starting to learn. You've been busy playing, having a good time, snapping your fingers, and you just hadn't paid attention. Now you begin to get some hair on your face, and you're looking at your tomorrows, and you're thinking, what am I going to do about that? Ask for the highway. Ask for the ancient paths. Wherein, as he said in chapter 18, wherein is the good way? Listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah 35 is a wonderful chapter concerning the nation of Israel and their restoration. But listen at this for us. Isaiah 35 and verse 8, he says, And a highway shall be there and a way. And this is what he's going to do for his people. A highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, they shall not err therein. And in verse 9 of Isaiah 35, he said, the redeemed will walk there. You know who is exclusively going to walk on the king's highway? The redeemed of the Lord. How do we know who's redeemed? We'll see what road you're on for long. Whichever way you're going to travel, the redeemed will walk on the Lord's highway. And we sing verse 10, we love, you know, turn to Isaiah 35, 10, we say, therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy. That'd be good. Shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. I have to sing it to quote it. And sorrow and mourning shall flee away. They found their rest. No arid places now. The redeemed are being led in a well-watered place. It's going to be good. Now let me close this morning and say this. This highway that is for us is the path that God put the upright on and it leads to heaven and it leads to eternal life. Now the water, listen to these words in John chapter four, a woman at the well Jesus asked her for a drink, and she said, I have no way to get the water. And he said, you know, if you had asked me for water, I would have given you that water for which you will never thirst. No more dry, thirsty lands because the water that God gives is the water that comes in the form of a person. And his name is Jesus. He becomes the focus of our life. He's not just the guy that rode on a donkey before he died and then nailed to a cross. He is a living person who makes his abode in the heart of the redeemed. And there he is manifesting himself. As Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And remember what this Jesus said to people like us? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. It's all about Jesus.
It's not about church buildings and church accomplishments and famous preachers. It's all about Jesus. Jesus the Christ, that's what it's all about. These are the times of refreshing right now. In a time of aridness in this world, it's also a time of refreshing. The times of refreshing spoke of in Isaiah 58, God says, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. And that's what he started doing. Jesus said in John 7, verse 38, speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, for out of your innermost being, John 7, 38, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39 said, this spake he of the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. He has now been glorified. He has returned and manifested himself. And he said, I'm going to the Father and send the Holy Spirit upon you. And this will be the times of refreshing. And this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. Think of it, to have God by his spirit habitate you so that he directs you, leads you, comforts you, corrects you, guides you, is in charge of your life, protects you and keeps you from evil, removes all your fears from your life. You live in a dimension that can't be lived any other way. This is a rest. It's that kind of life in which you know in whom you have believed and that God will take care. We don't need to live in dry places. God didn't save you to live dry. He didn't save you to drag your person in here and drag your person out of here. He saved you to be transformed and love this life. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the opportunity we've had today one more time in our lives to meet together to read your word and to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that nobody will believe anything I've said because I said it, but will believe what you say in your word. May it be confirmed with proper words from us. Deliver us, O oh God, from the doldrums, from death, from defeat, from being cast down and weary. I ask you to bless everybody here today, Lord, something from heaven, some kind of nugget of truth to fall into everybody's hearts. I pray especially this morning, you bless every mother in this room. Just a special something ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? Jesus Jesus
Risen and exalted 